0: I'll go into your step. The title of this session is "Migration Nation," and I'm, I'm not going to go on about it because if I started, I wouldn't stop. But you know, this place alone—if you took it as a little microcosm of Ireland—the um, migration out of here has been, you, you could say, devastating in many ways. It is part and parcel of this place, and in the race memory of this place, it is part and parcel of the psyche of the people here. That sense of people leaving, going out west, standing at the edge of that peninsula and knowing that the boat is going that way but it's not coming back. Now we've managed to collapse time and distance with technology and with travel and all sorts of things but people are still going and coming and really that is what we're talking about. We're talking about the Irish abroad, we're talking about those new Irish citizens who have come from abroad to be here and to work with us. And those two figures that I think um, are interesting, the two 17%, 17% of, of people who are living in this country now have come from abroad and it's, it's stated I think that 17% or that is the percentage of Irish people who have left. We're going to set out and tell some stories to each other really if you like. Um, stories of people who have left, Irish people who have left who are coming back What are the impediments to them coming back? Um, Many of them would like to come back and are saying, well, we can't because of this, that and the other. We'll hear those stories. We'll hear stories of those new Irish citizens who have landed here to be with us and to be part of this new, modern, diverse, integrated Ireland that we're hoping for. And I suppose heading towards 100 years of independence in 2021, It's interesting, when we go back to the proclamation, to sort of say, will we now be able to take our place among the nations of the world in that way, as a modern global nation, but still a differentiated place with its own identity, its own culture, its own values. You're all very welcome, and we're looking forward to a a great day. Can I ask you, please, to give a very warm welcome, please, to the Minister of State at the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, please, Mr. Kieran Cannon, TD.
1: Uh, Good morning, everybody. What a beautiful morning, and what an incredible vista, looking out the back window there. Um, Thanks Philip uh, for the introduction. Um, Thanks for organising this extraordinary thing that we're all involved in here today and yesterday. I had a speech written and I'd say every half an hour yesterday sitting in those chairs down there I was rewriting it. Um, Incredible ideas emanating from the people on this stage and causing me to reassess over and over again exactly what I wanted to say. So if it seems like a bit disjointed please forgive me. I remember a long time ago, uh, Dave Fanning doing an interview with Michael Stipe, asking him about the lyrics of the song, Losing My Religion. And he said, can you tell me, Michael, what exactly is it about? And he said, I have no idea, man. (laughs) But doesn't it sound really good? And And that may be a a bit of a stream of consciousness. I know Michael Stipe, by the way, but this is um, perhaps the way I think. I was in New York about six weeks ago. Uh, at uh, the United Nations General Assembly with my colleagues from the Department of Foreign Affairs and I was very fortunate to be introduced to an extraordinary lo- young lady called Malala Yousafzai a Nobel Peace Prize winner who has advocated very courageously for the education of women and girls in particular all across the world and paid a pretty heavy price at one point for that thankfully she's now uh, starting college in Oxford in great shape and an extraordinary young woman and when she was introduced to me as the Irish Minister for Jasper and International Development she said to me you Irish are everywhere. And then she said, uh, and you all know one another. And then she said, and perhaps most powerfully, and everybody trusts you. And as you might expect, that kind of put me back on my heels a bit and and it set me thinking. Alone on this little island, on the edge of Europe, um, we are just six million people with very limited opportunities to have a global impact. But with our diaspora now approaching 80 million people, we become over 1% of the world's population. And during the gathering, which we all remember vividly, we we got an incredible glimpse of that collective power as a global people for the first time. And it was the first time in my lifetime that I had a, a really tangible sense of being part of something greater than just the 6 million people that live on this island. In my own town of Athenry, we had an extraordinary celebration. Um, many, many people coming home from all over the world. Uh, and, and just celebrating what it meant to be Irish in the 21st century. And I think there's an extraordinary opportunity presenting it to us right now to build on the strength of that community, on that sense of community, uh, using technology in the main uh, that didn't exist, exist a decade ago. And I think it's time we, we now take on the task of creating a sense of that truly global Irish nation across the world. Because, and we heard a lot of conversations about this yesterday, in perhaps 20 or 30 years from now, when the more mundane tasks of this world are performed by robots and perhaps John Gerard's neural networks, uh, the real power isn't going to rest with those who own things, but rather with those who think differently. And it will be those who can create powerful intellectual property, the the, the real estate of the mind, over and over again, who I believe will actually dominate world affairs. And the World Economic Forum recently released a study showing which skills will be most valuable in 2020 compared to 2015. And while most of the skills just nudged up and down a couple of places, that one skill, uh, creativity, shot up from the tenth most valuable skill in 2015 to the third most valuable skill in 2020. And I fully expect that it will rise to the top by 2025. And that kind of creativity that we saw from people like John Gerard yesterday, those blurring of the lines between art and and technology will become commonplace in the future. And if any race of people is ready for that gargantuan leap in understanding and thinking, it has to be us. It has to be the Irish people, I believe. Now, imagine for a moment if we could... achieve, what we could achieve, if we could harness that collective, creative and collaborative power across our millions of diaspora worldwide. Because most of the really exciting ideas that are going to occur, and are already occurring as we saw yesterday, uh, in the next number of years, are happening in that magical sweet spot, the nexus where art and technology collide. Uh, Steve Jobs once remarked that the Macintosh came about because the people who are working on it were, and I quote, musicians. And poets and artists and zoologists and historians who also happen to be computer scientists. And for me, it's no coincidence that some of the finest scientists and technologists technologists who have graced us here this weekend with their presence also brought their musical instruments with them. And Philip King has lived most of his life in that magical place, in that sweet spot. And why? I suppose it was for him an utterly logical extension of the other voices' idea to create Ireland's edge. Um, And when you've already convinced people like Elbow and Amy Winehouse to come and perform in a little church in the west of Ireland, well, the obvious next step is to invite Genevieve Bell, Eamon Sinich, Nornie Lydion, Martin Shanahan to talk about the future of innovation. Well, in Philip's mind it was the obvious next step, but uh, in most minds it mightn't be. But it's a perfect fit. And it's no surprise that the city of Austin one of the most innovative places on the planet, invited Philip to bring other voices there last year because they also see that there's a real and lasting value in such deep engagement between artists and technologists. And I believe that Ireland is uniquely positioned to develop that kind of unique engagement across all of our people worldwide. And we can't begin that process of allowing that collaboration to happen unless we know who are our diaspora, where they live, what inspires them in terms of their connections to Ireland? What wants? Why do they want to feel uniquely Irish? And 10 years ago, uh, that would have been an impossible task. But now with more powerful social networks, with technology, with databases, processing power, neural networks, we now have the ability to collect, connect directly to each individual member of our 70 or 80 million people worldwide. We should know who they are. And with the greatest respect to... Uh, uh, best practice in data protection, we should be able to build millions of individual connections until such time as we have a database, a community of our people all over the world, a powerful connected mind with instantaneous and seamless communication, allowing for individual collaborations like never before. And that might seem like a fairly fanciful proposal, but the building blocks of that database are already there. We're already having that daily interaction with our people around the world. Our Department of Foreign Affairs, the places where I work and my colleagues in the Irish Abroad Unit work, we have 80 missions all over the world. And the people who work in those missions every single day, great people, by the way, are interacting with our people. They're having those, making those individual connections, be they business people, musicians, artists, technologists, whatever it might be. They're Irish, they're all over the world, and every day our embassies are connecting with them. For example... Our embassy in Pretoria is connecting with 37,000 Irish citizens who live in South Africa. We have 15,000 citizens living in Dubai. And we also see people here in Ireland who are beginning to connect at a community level, at an individual level, with their own respective diaspora, be they from Dingle or Dundalk. The people in these communities are deliberately reaching out. And in that, they're supported by an extraordinary endeavour called Ireland Reaching Out, founded by a guy called Mike Fearick, Uh, And collectively, those communities around the country have now amalgamated a database of 140,000 Irish people uh, all over the world who have that unique connection back to their individual parish, their individual community. And that uh, database is growing every day. So if our embassies are making all these connections, our people are making all these connections, uh, it's a pretty exciting thing. But the really exciting thing would be to bring all those connections together to allow our embassies and our communities and the IDA and EI and Fallshire Ireland and and Board BIA and all of the other effective ambassadors we have all over the world every day making connections with our people uh, spanning the globe to come together and begin to connect those connections. And I think that's where the the really, really special things might happen. In our last panel discussion yesterday, Martin Shanahan remarked uh, that we are entering into a time when our traditional understanding of what a nation-state actually means may change forever. He said that in the future, people may self-identify not as citizens of a country, but maybe as members of a special interest group uh, who are connected to one another through social media. And I would agree with Martin, and I would argue that when such a scenario arises, we in Ireland will already have a massive advantage. Because we already have those 80 million people worldwide who have that special reason to call themselves something unique and something different when they call themselves Irish. Every time the US government has a census of its people, 35 million people take up a pen and put down in a piece of paper, I am Irish. There is no other country in the world that can actually have laid claim to that particular uh, power. And millions of people who have never set foot on this island still retain that incredibly strong sense of what it means to be Irish. And we have to ask, why do they do that? Still, in 2017, why are 35 million people in the US and 70 or 80 million all over the world calling themselves Irish? And how do we amplify that sense of Irishness uh, by interacting with our people in a far more meaningful way? Julie Byrne, in the same panel yesterday, she asked, how do we nurture our sense of community? How do we take the collaborative magic that's happening in this room today and make it happen on a global scale. And for me, again, the answer has to be technology and devices like the one I'm holding in my hand right now. That's a device with incredible connective and collaborative power and we have to begin harnessing the community building power of technology and social media and in my department of uh, foreign affairs and particularly the Irish abroad unit, a very tightly knit group of people who are working really hard to make those connections, We are are already starting that work. Our Global Irish Twitter handle uh, has grown to about 10,000 followers in the last few months. And we're now setting a target for ourselves that we are going to have 1 million people following our Global Irish Twitter handle by the end of 2020. And people following us, and by the way, please follow us, at Global Irish, okay? People following us on Twitter will begin to see new content focused on culture and sport uh, and all the things that make us feel good about being Irish. Uh, and we're going to have a, a dedicated team of people who are expert in doing exactly that, in curating all the good things that, that, you know, about Ireland. And then they're also equally experts in social media. And they're going to work with me and with others and across all our embassies in the world in building that global Irish Twitter following to a million people. And I would be very, very grateful for your help and ensuring that we do exactly that because that for me will be one of the key parts in how we begin to develop that sense of a global Irish community. Also, my wonderful colleagues in the Irish Abroad Unit have just finished developing a database of 770 Irish community organisations across the world. Organisations whose sole focus it is day in, day out to connect with the Irish people in their community. And there are 770 of them and growing every day. And we're now going to begin developing an app that will allow users of that app to immediately locate and connect with those 770 organisations, no matter where they are in the world. And once we have those 770 groups mapped, we're going to explore the possibilities of mapping every other group and every other business and every other entity that self-identifies every day as Irish, no matter where they are in the world. For example, you may know Endo Quinning, the intrepid explorer, who was out in the Atlantic many times and an extraordinarily successful entrepreneur as well. He's developing a network of global Irish pubs which for him best exemplify all that we have to offer in terms of hospitality and culture. Uh, And I'm also going to be asking him, can we take his database of Irish pubs around the world, add them into the app. We're going to be asking our embassies uh, to update the app with details of Irish-owned businesses in each of their respective regions, and also upcoming Irish cultural events. So if you are Irish, one of the 70 million, and you end up in California with a concertina some night, and you want to go to a a music session, trust me, they're happening in California, because I know one or two people that organise them, the app will take you there. If you are a business person with an idea for a new business in Beijing and you land in Beijing, the app will take you to the people who are adept and expert at supporting Irish business in that context and also connect you, if they wish, with other Irish business people already working in that region. Because ultimately, the aim should be to allow every user of technology who self-identifies as Irish to be able to land anywhere in the world and find out where our Irish people are. We're going to continue to work with Ireland Reaching Out uh, because it's a very powerful tool and the communities across Ireland supported by Ireland Reaching Out to grow that database of 140,000 global Irish people uh, to the kind of numbers that begin to have real connective impact and scale. We're also working with uh, Foster Ireland in the very early stages of exploring an opportunity with Foster Ireland to work with every local authority along the Wild Atlantic Way in developing new tourism opportunities that are going to focus solely on the diaspora and give them cause and reason to return home to the beautiful uh, counties along the Wild Atlantic Way. In government, I'm going to be asking our various departments to really think about the role that they have to play uh, in connecting with and supporting our people worldwide. Many of you will recall that horrendous time uh, back in 2011 when we had nearly 16% unemployment. And Richard Bruton uh, came up with the action plan for jobs. And it was pretty unique at the time and has shown to be especially effective because it demanded a whole of government, a cross-departmental approach to job creation. And it worked. And the big surprise is, for most of us, is that we'd never done government that way before. And it took the chaotic crisis of an economic crash to – and um, Philip spoke earlier on about silos – to take us out of our respective silos and to sit around a table and see how every single minute aspect of government could help in creating the environment where people like you went out and made jobs happen. Strategic and meaningful engagement with our diaspora has to be about more than that our government department, the Department of Foreign Affairs. It has to be about, for example, rural development – It has to be about enterprise, it has to be about the arts and culture, it has to be about innovation and tourism. And it's also about, which I believe will be an exceptionally powerful symbolic step, about extending voting rights to our people all over the world. To give our people a voice in choosing our first citizen, the President of the Global Irish Nation. And in a a referendum in June of 2019, we're going to do exactly that. We're going to ask the people living on this island to extend that privilege, that great honour of choosing our first citizen to all of our Irish people all over the world. Bottom line is, we need to begin to collate our thinking here. Uh, There's a lot of good work going on, incredible work, and we saw some examples of it yesterday. But as a nation, we need to coordinate our efforts more smartly and more effectively. And one of the key concepts developed within the gathering was the idea of activating local and central government to engage in diaspora events, and for a year we were the best in the world at it. But we've somehow again, not too many years after the gathering, perhaps forgot about the really, really powerful things that were achieved. And it's time, I believe, right now to stop, you know, to forget about the physical boundaries of this island that we live on, in terms of really assessing who we are as a people and everyone in this room has a role to play in that endeavour. In terms of new patents filed, uh, we have physical places like uh, Eindhoven, uh, Princeton, San Jose, they're all always constantly jockeying for top position in the world when it comes to innovation, to being described as the most innovative places on the planet. But we're rapidly moving to a time where the innovative power of virtual places, for me, I believe, will far outstrip the innovative power of physical places. Where 80 million incredibly talented Irish people could become that global powerhouse for innovation and creativity. A place where people like John Gerard flourish and actually become normal. The potential of our diaspora, our global Irish nation, to help drive our economy and enrich our society long-term is almost immeasurable. And it's not just about our past, it's more especially about our future. It's a very serious business, and it needs to be taken seriously.